this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Today's episode is brought to you by Pinhole Press. Trying to find ways to entertain the kids this summer or just want to make a cool game to commemorate some of your favorite memories? Create a personalized memory game with your family photos at pinholepress.com. It's like the memory games that we all remember playing as kids, but it's better because it's yours. Visit pinholepress.com slash riot and use the code riot at checkout to get 20% off your personalized memory game. That's pinholepress.com slash riot and enter coupon code riot at checkout for 20% off. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 160, and we're recording on Thursday, June 2nd. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca, Rebecca Shinsky, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Rebecca, happy Thursday. Happy Thursday to you too, sir. Um, I, I, we were supposed to talk about this in the, before we started recording. So oh. I'm, I... <laughs> No, no, no. It's what not that. It's good. Be? <laughs> it's because something unusual is going to happen for podcast listeners. We're oh, yes. trying something out. Um, and so you're going to get this show. You're probably listening to this Monday, Tuesday. We're going to try a new thing where we interview some people that are have, know something or involved in some of the stories we talk about. So we're going to try to move to every couple of weeks, do a, a second episode for the week. Um, and the first one, um, I'm interviewing N.K. Jemison this weekend about her Patreon. We talked never, about a long time last time. Yeah, never have I been sadder that I can't work on a Saturday I know, morning. I know. Uh, Rebecca is <laughs> out, so I I, uh, I have to nervously do it myself. Um, so that's what's going to happen. So this is, show's going to come out normal Sunday night, Monday morning. And then a couple days later, there will be the episode with N.K. Jemison, and it's probably 15, 20 minutes, um, and talking about the Patreon. So we're going to try it out. Uh, we're going to do a few of them over the next few months. And if it's something we want to keep doing, we'll keep doing it. If not, we won't. So um, we're going to be especially curious about your feedback. So if you really like the show, the extra episodes, if you don't like it, you've got some suggestions, guest ideas, we want your feedback. Because if you don't want it, we don't want to make it. But if you do want it, we, we certainly want to give you um, a good interview. So um, Rebecca and I have been pontificating long enough without bringing in some people who actually know what they're talking about um, and so I'm looking forward to it. She's super smart. It's a super interesting story. Um, I feel like in the last week alone, I've seen some other writerly type people um, thinking aloud about Patreon mm-hmm. on Twitter. Some of them have even starting their own. Um, I, one of the other writers that's been on Patreon for a while now is Monica Byrne, who wrote um, the novel oh, The Girl right. in the Road, who, mm-hmm. who had a spot with us a while ago. But she's also written for Wired and some other stories. And I think, excuse me, I think she... Um, is subsidizing her sort of journalistic writing. I, I don't have it in front of me, but I think that's. But she's one of the the of these early adopters, um, these pioneers of Patreon. Um, people who have published books, Cameron Hurley, we talked about last time, yep. N.K. Jemison and Monica Byrne. I'm sure there's some other writers doing out there, but those are the ones I've heard. It's Saladin Ahmed we talked about last time, um, are the first movers uh, in this particular realm. So, And we're going to talk some more about it. I think it's really interesting. Um, sometimes there might be stories we talked about recently. Sometimes it might just be things we're you know, 
ongoingly interested in. So if there's not necessarily a news hook, you know, someone can talk to us about ebooks or diversity in books or all the different kinds of things that we're interested. So anyway, if you've got an idea for someone to interview, someone you'd like to hear from, talk about these things, let us know, podcast at bookwrite.com. That's what's coming uh, this week. I'm looking forward to it. Uh, let's do our first sponsor. It's Audible. Audible, the world's largest provider of audiobooks. Over 250,000 titles. Quarter million. We passed, we passed a quarter million mark. From the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. Free apps, great prices. You own your file. Even if you don't have a membership anymore, you can still play your files for as long as Audible is a thing. For a free 30-day trial, go to audiblepodcast.com slash bookwrite. You can get started for free. It's it's the hottest thing in books. I, re- I mean, it really is. Like mm-hmm. audiobooks are the hottest things. Like you're looking at year over year growth. I was looking at Publishers Weekly this week, and um, the number of audiobook titles produced in 2011 was 7,900. In 2015, 35,000. So a 400 percent increase in the number of titles, and that's not a, they're not just doing that for fun. They're doing that because people are buying them. Um, I did the math. Uh, I don't have it right in front of me, but. If ebooks continue their decline and audiobooks continue their rise, in like four or five years, there'll be more dollars done in audiobook business than ebook business um, by about 2020 or 2021, uh, which I don't think anyone have predicted when no. the first Kindle came out in 90, yeah, 2008 or whenever that was. The fruition of those moments that we spent as teenagers figuring out if one train leaves this station and the yeah, other train right, leaves right, the right. other station. Yeah, that's really yeah, I mean, I mean, the projection is kind of, I mean, it's kind of bogus because that assumes the kind of growth audiobooks have seen over the last three years in terms of percentage going forward. Well, it's getting so big now that's going to be hard to keep up 20, 25, 30% year over year growth. Ebooks probably won't have a 4 or 5% decline over the next, you know, average. But anyway, if it did, but just gives you some idea that they're on a collision course, um, uh, Anyway, so that, there's audible.com. You go, I, so I don't think I told you this, but um, no. Michelle, I, Michelle asked me to ask you oh, if yeah, yeah, when yes. women were birds was, mm-hmm. as Michelle calls it, she's going to be so um, embarrassed. I said, it was it a snot bomb. That's what she <laughs> describes things like this, you know, where it makes you cry so bad that you get like a mucus situation happening. I do remember that conversation. And, like, you, no. and you said, no, it's touching and, you know, you might get a little choked up, but you're it's not, not going to. It's not a snot bomb. You know, it's not, it's not you know, uh, one breath becomes air or something like that. It's not like when I finished reading the things they carried on a plane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I don't think you did one more words on audio, right? You did in print. Well, I read it on, in print first, like the first five uh-huh. times, but I've listened to it on audio a few oh, times. Oh, okay. Since. And so yeah. she listened to it. She loved it. When Women Birds by Terry Tempest Williams. So and good. And it's now spreading like a virus throughout her office. Um, several other people doing audiobooks. We had guests in town. She gave, she gave, she gifted, an, you can do this in audio. You can gift someone an audiobook. Um, so she did that to a friend who was staying over, gifted her when Women Birds. So, um, th- that's Michelle's pick. Yeah, yeah she, you I, know, she, and, and, and by proxy, your pick. So I just yeah, wanted to Michelle, pass that along. Michelle texted me that. So hi, Michelle. Oh, yeah. Um, it, I'm so pleased. The book is just so wonderful. And Terry Tempest-Williams is a wonderful reader. So the experience mm-hmm. of having her in your ears for a few hours is just phenomenal. Um, and she has a new book about the national parks that's out that is amazing also. So if you're well, doing why, like, why do people we like want to talk about the – I mean, Ken Burr – I mean – I like the national parks. It's all President Bartlett, man. Is that what it leaf peeping? It's, it's all it's all one take Bartlett. Uh. You know, well, this year is the centennial of the national parks. Okay. So, um, oh, now she, I care. If it was ninety eighth year, I wouldn't have cared. But now I it's care. a yes. It's this. Now you care about. Now I care. Just pretend you care about nature for a minute, Jeff. Sure. Um, 
it's the centennial of the national parks. And so she and she is a naturalist and yeah. a conservation activist and a, a writer. And so she was asked to write a book that was, you know, for the centennial. Um, but she's who she is. And so the book is a is like part memoir, part history, part meditation on what it means for a country to set aside wild natural places for itself. Um, it's exactly what I wanted it to be. It's amazing. Uh, but if you're and, and like now my browser history is one million percent National Parks vacation searches. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if I die, at least I look righteous right now. That's so funny. Uh, she, she meant well. She meant well. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Uh, and so I just have to plug it because I love her and the book is wonderful. Um, on audio right now, I'm Oh, it's listening. on audio. I just looked it up. That is, it's yeah, called yeah. The Hour of Land. It's an audio book too, mm-hmm. if you want to check that out. And the um, the hardcover also is beautiful. But since we're talking about Audible, yes, audio. Terry's a great reader. Um, I'm currently listening to Nosferatu by Joe Hill, ah. which... I read in print when it came out or on ebook or whatever. I read it um, when it first came out and it's creepy and weird and it gave me just bonkers dreams. Um, and now we're in summer travel season where Bob and I are driving a bunch of places together and the Venn diagram of our reading interests and what works for us both on audio is pretty narrow. And we figured out that it's like thrillers and vampire stuff. Like the Martian worked really well for us. Oh, you did World War Z, I remember. Kind of in that vein, yeah. The Strain, World War Z, those kinds of things. And so I was like, ah, Joe Hill would be perfect for this. Um, And it's great. And Kate Mulgrew from Orange is the New Black, um, who plays Red on Orange is the New Black, reads it. And her voice is Mm, just... She's got a great voice. She does. And I can't imagine a better voice for this kind of creepy story. It's so excellent. I think she narrates his new one, The Fireman 2, I I believe. She's narrating that that as well. queued up next. Yeah. Um, Which... I mean, it's on Audible too, but that that book is new this week or yeah. last week, and it's selling, boy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's his biggest seller by far, and apparently, it's really good. I, I haven't read it. Um, so yeah, those are those are on Audible. So audiblepodcast.com slash book riot. Um, and you can always hit us up on Twitter for recommendations. We like that game. You just something you said remind me, and I, I don't know what um, that I wanted to put this in the show notes too, but to, to notice. Um, we got into you. You've been podcasting longer than I have because uh, you had book rages before. Yeah, almost um, like it'll, it would be seven years this August. But both of us uh, have listened to and admired books on the nightstand. Yes, um, for for many years now. Um, the long running podcast hosted by Michael Kindness and Ann Kingman. Um, and news came. Was it this week? Or do we, I it was this week or last week? Oh, and I don't. I, it doesn't, I think it, doesn't it was last week. Yeah. I uh, didn't get into last week's show notes, but I did want to mention that they're they're wrapping up. Um, they're going to wrap up the show after eight years in June. Three hundred um, and some odd episodes. Yeah, they're it's on really three eighty five right now. I think three eighty nine. They said is going to be their last one. Um, just tip of the cap because they were there way way before podcasts really became a well. I mean, our, our pod, podcasts aren't really. I mean, they're more of a thing now than they were, but like. They've been doing it so long that, like, the iPhone was new. Like, you think about the things that really got podcasts in the public mm-hmm. conscious way before serial, way before, you know, all that kind of thing. But they've been doing it a long time. Um, they've done it really as a passion project. Um, they're both sales reps for uh, Penguin Random House. Um, so it wasn't, you know, they weren't making a bunch of money on it. They did have a sponsor, but my understanding is that was mostly to cover costs uh, of hosting and doing the editing and giving them some time to to, to edit the show and have time for it. But um, a real pioneer and beloved, a beloved show. Um, yeah. 
and a, and a great archive if you haven't listened to it. I mean, oh, yes. they talk about some new stuff, but they also give great recommendations. So if you're looking for another show and you want um, 389 <laughs> shows to binge There's on, your that'll keep product. it going. But I just want to say congratulations to them. And, and well, and the podcast world of books will miss you. Yeah, I do owe both of them a debt of thanks. Ann Kingman was encouraging when I was like a little bitty baby blogger. Mm. Um, Book Rageous would not have existed without books on the nightstand. We called them our fairy pod parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've just both done, they've just been such passionate advocates for what uh, podcasting can do, but in a wider sense, what internet communities around reading can do. It's such a really incredible community built up around books on yeah. the nightstand. And they started hosting retreats and they've got a Facebook page and a Goodreads group. And like people became best friends with people they never would have mm. met because of that show. Um, it's really inspiring and awesome and they're they couldn't be nicer people or better at their jobs um i'm sad to see it go um and just so like pleased for them and proud of them yeah. to have had such a run like i look at our shows almost every week when we're doing the read at the top of the show and think like sheesh 160 i know we're not even really? halfway there but right like yeah. 384 well and it's, and the the resolve i mean we do the show. It's part of our jobs. We like doing the show. But we have also, to be frank, one of the things that helps us get a show out every week is that we have sponsors, right? You guys yeah, got to fill the yes. contract. And they have had sponsors for a while. But if, you know, they took wanted to take a week off, you know, audiobooks.com has been their longtime sponsor. Um, you know, I don't think they're going to say anything. They'll figure it out. Whereas, you know, we need to get that out. And there's a – I mean, that they've done it out of their love of books and in the community and I think dedication to each other, mm-hmm. um, even, even more impressive. Anne was – at the beginning of this show, we had guests on, guest yeah, hosts, yes. mm-hmm. as we were trying to figure out if we wanted to be on every week. And she was, she was good enough to come on um, and host with you early on. Um, so she, she was kind of – Anne was the first – person I ever listened to on a podcast regularly who I met in real life and have that weird moment of like, I've <laughs> your had your voice, voice in my head and now you are face. a corporeal flesh bag in front of me and how weird that is. Um, we mean corporeal flesh bag in the best possible. Uh, no, no. Uh, wonderful. Uh, no, no, none nicer. No better corporeal flesh bags. Um, but it's just so, you know, that thing where you know only someone is a disembodied voice and then you see them. And I know people have come up and met and talked to us and have that same experience. And um, they were great and, uh, you know, really gave us confidence when we were starting on the own podcast at Book Riot that, you know, here's someone that's done it, done it for a long time and people like it. Yeah, just so generous with their time and their talents and got all the knowledge. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> and it's they do great recommendations. Um, so even if, if you go back and you don't necessarily want to hear the news, because their segments are gener- – their shows are generally – they do some news, what's going on, maybe a topic – and then book recommendations. And those book recommendations, that second half of the show, you know, you can listen to that forever. Yeah, that's good stuff there. So go check that we out. We love okay. you guys. Love Congratulations. You. Congratulations. Okay. Um, so we got Amazon speaking news. Speaking of long-running uh, things, <laughs> um, every year we come back and we talk about this, this – it's not a study. It's just a report or just – I guess just a list that Amazon does revealing the 20 most well-read cities in the U.S. And um, – there's two – well, there's more than that, but there's two <laughs> restraints essentially. One is you have to have 50,000 people in your city. And, and the other is you have to shop at Amazon. And the other thing is you have to shop at Amazon. Um, books, magazine, newspaper, sales, and Amazon.com in both Kindle and print format. And this goes from April to April for reasons I don't understand. Why now? Fiscal I, years maybe? I think it's June 3rd. Anyway, maybe they have their own fiscal year. Uh, who knows? Um, could be. And the 20 most well-read cities are – there's not a lot of change here. Um, I, I mean, as maybe it should come as a surprise to no one, the hometown of Amazon.com, Seattle, Washington, is number one. Um, number two, 
is my adopted city of Portland, Oregon, which I'm, I, I have to say I'm a little surprised by um, because they uh, Portland is home to <clears throat> the, the single greatest independent bookstore in North America. I'm sorry, Strand. Um, in Powell's. Um, and then Washington, D.C., which is always toward the top, San Francisco, then Austin, Texas, Las Vegas, Nevada, Tucson, Arizona, Denver, Colorado, and Albuquerque, New Mexico, and San Diego round out the top 10. I'll just go through the rest of the list here. 11 is Baltimore, Charlotte, Louisville, San Jose, Houston, Nashville, Chicago, Indianapolis, Dallas, and San Antonio. Um, I, I never know what to say about this. I, surprises anywhere? You know, what, I don't even know what to say. No. I mean, it's not really surprising. A lot of these cities, many of them, in fact, I think most of them, have well-known indie bookstores as well. Yeah, so it do. would be interesting to have a comparable list of like total book sales from the indie stores in these cities or just overall if they're magically away to do that. Like, I suspect that given the concentration of PhDs in Seattle, people are just reading a lot there and that, and, and Portland, that area as well. DC has tons of politicians, but also has a ton of indie bookstores. So they've got like a community that travels a lot and would order online. And I think Washington a- has is like the single most well-educated city in America. If you go by like degrees and graduate degrees and PhDs mm-hmm. per capita um, for all the people working around the Capitol and yeah. um, consultants and lobbyists and lawyers and all right. that stuff. San Francisco and Austin in four and five, but those have well-known indies as well and like active cultural communities. Las Vegas is really interesting. Yeah. Um, I guess that's kind of a surprise. You just don't think of Vegas as being like super literary. Right. Um, I guess there's, I mean, we've talked, I mean, we've had the same conversation for a couple of years and we can repeat it again, but the, the things we always wonder about are, one, is it actually any sort of intrinsic interest in buying books in these cities disproportionate to other cities? Right. Or do they not have as many other outlets to buy books and newspapers? Right. You know, or is it some combination there? Yeah, because it could go several ways. It could be people in the city just love to read. And so their indie sales are high, their Barnes and Noble sales mm-hmm. are high, and their Amazon sales are high, and their use of libraries is high. Or yeah. it could be this is a book desert, and there right. are no bookstores nearby. And so everybody orders from Amazon, because that's the you know only retail option that's available to them. It could be, you know, can't really be a combination of those two. But um, it also doesn't say this says just residents um, on a per capita basis. So it's not just gross sales. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm always interested in what the breakdown between books, magazines, and newspapers would be because that's like, that makes a difference. You know, regular reading of a magazine, I, I feel like is a different exercise, not necessarily better or worse, but is a different exercise than regular reading of books and ditto for newspapers. Um, so I just, I wonder. Yeah. I mean, notable, I mean, if it's just a, so if let's, let's take all the Amazon caveats out of it for a minute, you're just saying, (laughs) Somehow we got it. This were the the most well-read cities in some objective way that we believed, right? Mm-hmm. And this were the list. the The ones we would maybe surprised not to see here are Chicago. Yep. Um, there's no New York. There is no New um, York. No Philadelphia. Oh, Chicago is on the list. Oh, Chicago number seventeen. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, down there, but still down there at seventeen. Yep. Yeah, it's um, low. No Philadelphia. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. Um, is there Los Angeles? Los Angeles is not on here. L.A. is not on the list. San Diego and San Jose, but not Los Angeles itself. So some of the bigger cities. Boston? uh, It's interesting that Boston's not on here. Boston, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Boston and New York um, have unbelievable indie bookstore options. I mean, that's one. And plus Mm -hmm. the Strand. Portland has the Powell's, 
I think outside of Powell's, again, I'm relatively new to this I haven't done that much book exploring. I'm not sure. The Powell's is such a, a presence that it, I feel like it it sort of squashes like your Barnes and Nobles and your Books of Millions and some yeah. of the other it sort of takes the place of those things. Um, there's not a Barnes and Noble, I think, in Portland proper. You got to go out to one of the suburbs. Uh, I could I could be wrong about that. Um, Anything else to jump out at you? I'm, I'm not yeah, really no, sure. Not really. You know, we do, we do just kind of mention this yeah. every year because it's a thing. Um, but I don't think there's really any interesting takeaways. They even try to make it more interesting at the bottom of the mm-hmm. press release by being like, the girl on the train was the top selling Kindle print in five of these 10 cities. And it's like, how is that surprising? It was the top selling book in a million places. Right, in a million places. Yeah. And they try to write. There's nothing that's really that interesting um, among the other things. And they give you no other numbers, right? There's right. just all rankings. It's all relative. They don't have. There's not one number associated with guess, a per capita number or number of books sold or anything other than rankings. I appreciate that it combines ebook and print formats because yep. we don't get bestseller lists that do that. So <laughs> that's my one thank you to Amazon. Well, for the, that, the but- New York Times does now some of them. And then the New York Times bestseller list. Have you seen this? They've redesigned the online New York Times yeah. bestseller list, and they have a. Print only and an ebook and print combined now. Ah, uh, yes, but BookScan is still just print. Oh, yeah, BookScan is still just print. And yeah. I don't even know where New York Times is getting its ebook number since Amazon's not giving it up. Who even knows, Jeff? No, it's it's all, it's all, it's all, uh, you know. It's, it's all it's a all, big mystery. You know, um, while you were talking about Powell's and not exploring Portland as yeah. much, um, I think that you probably need to go on a bookstore and donut tour for Book Riot's Snapchat account. I could make that sacrifice. That's could some, you? That's something, you know. I'll, I think we should assign this task. I'll steal my nerves and take uh, one, take for, one the for the Book Riot listenership. That's, you uh, know, I better, I better do that. It's yeah, my civic you, duty. It really is your civic duty. Um, if you're listening to this show and you have Snapchat or you've been thinking about Snapchat, by the way, Book Riot is on there. Oh, yeah. That's um, our username, our great, Book Riot. Our great colleague, Rachel Smolter-Hall, runs um, most of our snaps and does a great job. And every Thursday, you can get previews of her book mail. Um, she It's ain't nothing but a galley thing. Um, and there's bunches of other snaps uh, throughout the week. But we're trying things out there, and you can snap us back. And I have to say, I'm not a great producer of Snapchat stuff, uh, as you know, since you follow me. Um, but the people, I, I do like looking at it. I like seeing what other people are doing. I, I finally come to some sort of arrangement that I, we're both comfortable. You know, we have an understanding, yeah. Snapchat. You and, and Snapchat, you yeah. have an understanding. I'm feeling the same way. I feel a little bit... Um, You're getting into it. I feel a little bit freer to be like silly yes. on Snapchat um, because it does disappear after 24 hours. Um, so I'm enjoying that. I'm, I'm, I'm like following some people who do interesting things and figuring out like, ah, oh, you can do like... A couple of weeks ago, I did a recipe. I was like, oh, right. You can do like a cooking how-to on Snapchat. So I did a couple in a row of that. I'm enjoying it. The filters are fun. Um, it's an interesting thing to play with. But um, I, I I'm think starting my one, to get I think it. my one multi-picture Snapchat story was actually at Voodoo Donuts in Portland. Now that I think about it, I think that was the one thing I have done. So. Very on brand. All right. So let's. That, there's the Amazon <laughs> list. You can look at it and you know, take that for what it's worth here. Yeah, um, you know, we got to. We got to break our moratorium quickly on um, <laughs> it was, uncovered things. It was like as soon as we said there was a moratorium, the universe was like, "Okay, Screw let's you. see Screw how you strong guys. your yeah. resolve is." Um, out now, I mean, this is also—it's a notable thing, I think, in the it book is. world that well, not, not not just this story, but also the New York fiction, New Yorker fiction issue, um, is out now. Understands now. It's, it's a, a um, what they call it, uh, double issue. Yes. June 6th and 13th. There's no Zadie Smith story in there. There's a new Jonathan, Jonathan Saffron Foer story in there. And there is a new story um, by Langston Hughes that Arnold Rampersad, which is um, 
he was his biographers and his work. I don't know if it's done now, to be honest, but a multi-volume biography of Langston Hughes. Um, Rembrandt has also done biographies of Ralph Ellison, W.D. Boys. No, not W.D. Boys, but um, uh, Jackie Robinson. Um, and he found an unpublished story. Um, and it's about dancing. And it's really, I think it's interesting. I read it. It is uh, very interesting. It's not very long. It's free. You can get online. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, but you don't see too many of these published in the New Yorker, these unpublished things. You know, usually there's like some journal or whatever. Mm-hmm. But this is about as high prof- profile as a, well, actually, it's the highest profile thing for short stories we have in the U.S. Is that right? Am I right about that? Would you say I, the New Yorker is the highest profile I th- outlet? I think so. There was and a day like Playboy or Esquire, but I think New Yorker yeah, now is the, the I'm cream hard of the crop. Pressed, yeah, I'm hard-pressed to think of anything that would be higher profile. Yeah, yeah. Well, Zadie Smith puts her stories there. What, what else is there? Right, this yeah. is true. If it's good enough for Zadie, it's good enough for you. Um, so that's I wanted, we wanted to point in that direction. Uh, it's I think it's worth a read. It'll only take about ten minutes to read yeah, it, but um, I, I'm a big Langston Hughes fan myself. I agree, and you know I gave up my New Yorker subscription um, in print several years ago because they just piled up and yeah. made me feel guilty about um, what I was not reading. But I do get the fiction uh, double issue every summer. It's fun. Did you pick it up already? I have to go. Oh, it's got like, an awesome little- cover. Like the, make the cover a little Barnes & Noble pilgrimage and get my New Yorker. Yeah, the cover is really beautiful, um, um, too, anyway. I, I, won't, I won't steal it. I won't okay. spoil it for those of you who Don't haven't seen it Don't spoil it yet. for me. It's I haven't seen cover. the cover yet. Um, I do think it's also really interesting from a book nerd, like, insidery baseball perspective to read those short stories and wonder which ones of them are actually kernels of novels that we're going to see mm. in a few years, because that is not uncommon. Well, um, Foer and Smith both have novels coming out in the fall, so even if it's not part of one of those novels, it's mm-hmm. strategery. Right. Yes. Very frequently, it's like here's a story, and then a year later, there's yeah. a collection. It's of like that a foreshock, like a, in the, the collection, yeah, right. or here's a story, and a year later, like surprise, that was actually the opening chapter of a novel. Um, it's fun to play that game, but they're almost always really great. And I think, like any collection of any you know essays or short stories or whatever, you're not going to love all of them, but it's worth the it's worth the read to find a few. There are always at least some that are going to ring your own bells. Um, but yeah, Langston Hughes, what else? I was playing the game this morning of like, what else is going to get discovered this year that will make us break our yeah. moratorium? Because it does feel like now the gauntlet has been thrown. Well, a lot of people, I think, don't know. I mean, if you know, if you've read anything by Langston Hughes, you've read the poetry, you know, Dream Deferred or something like that. Um, a lot of people don't know. He wrote a bunch of short stories. Long time had a call, um, a regular short story um, where simple was it the, his sort of character that he did these short stories where simple was sort of an amalgam of people he knew in and around New York. Um, and there's collections of these short stories. They're great. Um, let's see, not without laughter, his novel that he wrote actually set, uh, in my hometown of Lawrence Langston, Hughes lived in Lawrence for a few years. Um, and it's, it doesn't say that it's Lawrence, but it, it is a uh, Lawrence, Kansas. So, and he has, you know, a lot of short stories out there. So if you haven't tried one before, it's right there ready for you. You can read online. Um, or pick up the fiction issue. It's worth checking out. Really cool stuff. Um, Me link in the show notes. Yeah. So uh, to move on, we have it's kind of follow up from a thing that we mentioned yeah. last year. David Mitchell is contributing to an art project. It's um, Scottish artist Katie Paterson. It's called the Future Library Project. We talked about it last year when Margaret Atwood was the kickoff contributor for it. Uh, but Katie Patterson planted a thousand trees two years ago in uh, Nordmarka Forest, which is in Oslo. Um, and she is running this project as sort of a like 
the trees are going to chop down to be uh, the trees will be chopped down to make paper on which these texts that she is curating will be printed. But the catch is these texts that she's curating one per year um, for the next 100 years, apparently, are going to be buried and kept for 100 years. Um, so this David Mitchell manuscript, he has written a book. It's going to be buried until 2114. The trees mm. will then be chopped down. The paper will be made. The books will be printed. We're only finding out one author's name per year. Um, and Patterson, while she's alive, is making a trek to the spot in this forest above Oslo where uh, the authors surrender their manuscript to her in a short ceremony. Like, this is maybe the first time I've really wished that someone had Periscope. <laughs> Fair, uh, <laughs> like, I can't believe this story. It was actually kind of making me mad the other day, I have to say. <laughs> I know. I remember last year we talked about the Atwood one, and it was like, but I'm mad that I'm yeah. going to be dead. No. Well, first of all, I don't like any reminders of my own mortality. That's a, that's a, that's a <laughs> major bummer. There's retirement. an Atwood book that I won't get to read. Yeah. And um, also, it just feels like a Portlandia sketch. <laughs> and they're going to cut down the trees and print the books on the trees when it's time? You saw that part of it? Mm-hmm. Yes. I, I, I don't – and what's the point? What What's the point? Man, we're going to get some emails about the meaning of art. No, no. I mean, I like art as much as the, the next person who sort of likes art. Um, I, I just, I, I don't know. I'm going to, I, I don't know. Tree, I don't know. Trees it's, and books and paper and Norway. I don't know. Cool. It's all too much for me. I want to go to the ceremony in the forest in Oslo and then steal the manuscript. Yeah. Um, hey, you know what? I wrote a novel. And, uh, Are you going to bury it? It's buried in my yard. Cool. Uh, it's That's it's cool. ready. Cause I, it just has to bake for 100 yeah, years. Yeah, I, I, I guess. I, I'm not sure. Like Atwood, Atwood so, and Mitchell, too, they do weird stuff. Like, whatever. I get it. I get it. If, right, like, if a Marilyn Robinson novella goes in there, I oh, get on a plane. Oh, to the no. <laughs> that, that is not going to be acceptable. No, we will be in Oslo with yeah. little, yeah. you know, like miners' headlights yeah. and on I, you know our what? foreheads I, I've, and pickaxes. I've got a saw and nowhere to be. <laughs> I'm good with it if this is the story of how we end up in jail together. Right. We got, we got uh, thrown in Norwegian jail for cutting down trees for Marilyn Robinson. Yeah, Mitchell makes this great remark about it halfway is great. down great. in this Guardian piece where at first he's talking about how everything is telling us that we're doomed. The future library is a candidate on the ballot paper for possible futures. It brings hope that we are more resilient than we think that we will be here and that there will be trees and there will be books and readers and civilization. So I guess that's kind of the point. Like the sky is not all the way falling because we're planting these things in an act of faith. Because we have a literary years. bunker? I don't, I don't know. I, I mean, whatever. <laughs> they can do whatever they want. Who am I to say? But I was like, I think I think The Handmaid's Tale is still going to be around. I, I might be wrong. Cloud Atlas I, is still going to be around so in 100 years. The, uh, the best part, though, is that Mitchell says that he found writing the book to be quite liberating because he won't be around to take the consequences of whether it's good or bad. Well, now that's interesting. But he's sandwiched between Margaret Atwood and someone else who no doubt is great and is yet to be revealed. So it better be good because he doesn't want uh, – he says, what a historic fool of epochal proportions I would look if they opened it in 2014, 2114 and it wasn't any good. Uh, so even the, like, the pressure to deliver your literary masterpiece uh, So they're doing one a year for how long they're burying these? For 100 years? There's going to be I one get, a year? I, that's the plan or for as long as the artist is alive? So I don't know the year before they line. dig them up, someone's going to bury one and they, they dig it up next summer? Or they dig it up 100 years later? Do they plan – is it like a – so is it actually a 200-year cycle? 
I don't know. I feel like they haven't gamed this out. You gotta leave instructions for someone to. <laughs> we could have this. Hey, by the way, our, um, for the next sixty years, high. you've got you, for the <laughs> next sixty years, you've got to. By the way, congratulations! You got to bury. I mean, good gets. I mean, I don't know who her publicist is or how she's getting to Mitchell and Atwood to agree to do this. Surely they're not full books. They've got well, to be short stories. I'm right? thinking uh, about who else is on her wish list. Like who else? Because you're right, Mitchell and Atwood both do kind of weird things. It's not William surprising. Gibson. Right, uh, China Mieville. Y'all, he's probably done this already. He's got a hundred in his backyard right now. <laughs> China Mieville just has a book for him. Yeah, they're like they're like backyard. in dog like carcasses. You know, he's done something super. He's 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 it's he's got he's one standard deviation of weirdness even weirder than this already. You know that's true. <laughs> who? Uh, I'm trying to think who else would be a good candidate for it. I feel like this stuff. is an NK Jemison. Jesse Ball. You and I both. Jesse Ball would be all over this. Well, Forward did that thing where he cut out someone's, you know, cut out words of uh, mm-hmm. a book and made a different book out of it. That's pretty weird. Robin Sloan. Robin Sloan will try stuff. Yep. Yeah. Ann Carson, she'll try stuff. Sure, Karen Russell. Yeah. Colson Whitehead does a whole bunch of different kinds of stuff. Colson Whitehead would do this, and then it would be the best. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, oh, Murakami. Murakami mm-hmm. would be all over this. Um, okay. Do you think if she asked Toni Morrison, Toni Morrison would throw shade at it like she did on the Chipotle Cup? Yeah, and like her note is just like this is a dumb project. Like that's all that's on there. <laughs> Basically. Basically. I mean, Although and more like more the, Morrison than that. But. The art of Toni Morrison shade is so wonderful yeah, yeah. that like Chipotle I just want to read a different Chipotle the, cup. Morrison once a month. Morrison throwing shade on the Chipotle cup project on the Chipotle cup is one of the best it, stories we've talked about. It's it underrated. Is, it it's just, a 20 most underrated story. <laughs> it's so it's just such an internal delight that she said yes and then that's what she did with it. <laughs> I just love it. Right. I could not love that story more. Do you, have you read Luis Alberto Urea? I feel like he's Oh, he's no, I haven't, enough. but I know the name. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah. Walter Mosley would do it. Mm, interesting. And speaking oh, of Walter oh, Mosley. You know what? That's A+. Plus. That's fine. Um, barrel-aged segue. That's, that's really why good. you pay me the bucks, some of them. Uh, Walter Mosley is going to be at Book Riot Live. Mm-hmm. Which we are very excited very about. Very excited got about that. To announce that this week. It's been in the works for a little while, but we are stoked that he will be there. And um, actually, we're so excited that Walter Mosley is going to be at Book Riot Live that we have extended our VIP registration through the end of June. So go to bookriotlive.com. You can check out info about Walter Mosley and all of our other amazing speakers that have been announced so far. There's a great, very exciting slate of them and more to come. You'll save 50 bucks. Sorry, 40 bucks. You will save 40 bucks on your weekend registration. You'll get a free water bottle and you will get early RSVP access to special events and panels. So that is bookriotlive.com for your bookriotlive.com register bookriotlive registration. I'm like so excited about Walter Mosley and about that segue that I just that made That was up. so exciting. Really you should hang it up. <laughs> now I can't talk. It just happened. Yeah, it, it just, just fell. Right out. Segways falling from the sky. I'm off script again. Are you ready? I, I was going to talk ready. to you about I, my pregame today was weak. Um so I, was, I had this idea, since we're not doing a recommendation show for the, the summer this year, I mm-hmm. thought what we might do is talk about, not this week for us, but um, the, the halfway point of the year is coming up at the end of the month. Oh, like a halftime so show. So like a halftime show. We'll talk about the big stories of the week, also some of our favorite books. But I thought also maybe our readers would like to write in and tell us what the best book they've read so far this year is. Yes, so we could talk I would about love some to of the know show. that. 
Um, so send us an email, podcast at bookriot.com. Fiction, nonfiction, doesn't have to be front list. Whatever. If you want to do, give us a couple, something that's new this year, something that you're encountering for the first time. Maybe you've read a business book that Jeff hasn't heard of. Yeah, no, I, 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 I would love to hear. If you've got <laughs> business books and productivity books that we haven't talked about, um, I'd, I'd especially welcome those. Um, I just finished The Gene by Siddhartha Mukherjee. Oh, I, it's so going to be hard to top that for me for so the year, good. I have to admit. Um, man, it was great. I How was it on audio? Great, great. Yeah. The 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 um, the narrator sounds like a young Sam Waterston to me, and I oh. I've listened to him do something else. Um, this is an audiobook audiobook listener's dilemma. Like I know I've listened to a book with this narrator before, and it's it's you got to go find it. You can search on Audible. It's actually pretty easy. And I need to I actually have done it. I'm complaining about um, that I haven't done this thing. It takes all of 26 seconds to do. I will do it. It was great. Um, Michelle was asking me. If she, I, I thought the Emperor of All Maladies or the Gene was better, mm. um, and I think, I think the Emperor of All Maladies is a little bit better. I agree. Uh, why? Why do you think? Tell me what I think about. I've this. actually been noodling. On oh this yeah, for, let's take three minutes and talk about this a bit. I think the Emperor of All Maladies is more broadly appealing. Okay. Um, Even though we all got genes. Okay. Okay. I'm well, with you I mean, still. Yeah, everybody's got genes, but like also everybody knows somebody who was affected by cancer. Mm-hmm. The history of the discoveries is like there's so many happy accidents and so yeah. much interesting, like adjacent possible stuff that just works out in a seemingly magical way. Um, and we get so much of Mukherjee's like the thing that made that book really remarkable for me was not just how great the history is and how wonderful the narrative of the history is that he's written, but how much his own experience as a physician and his empathy for his patients infused that writing. Like it's not just about cancer as a medical thing that exists, but about cancer as a thing that affects all human life essentially Mm -hmm. in some way, but also the book that you could write a book about cancer in that way and have it be what it was, was so surprising that like that surprise was a large part of the experience of that being a positive reading experience for me. And I think that, now I know what I'm getting with him. Like the bar's really high. Yeah, super and high. He, and, yeah, and the he, gene is great. I mean, it's wonderful. I mean, this is really you know one A and one is it, is it, it is. DiMaggio it's, or Ted Williams kind right, of situation? Right. Yeah, it totally is. He meets the bar for sure. Yes. Like Mukherjee is gonna deliver, and he does. And the book is incredible. The gene is a it's a remarkable remarkable book. book. Highly but recommended. No, there is nothing like the surprise yeah. of like oh you can you could do that. Right. Yeah. Some of it is, wow, a history of cancer that that's moving and provocative and thoughtful and interesting. And it's so human. Yeah. And I think the other piece, now that you say that, is that sort of our lived experience and our cultural experience of cancer as an idea is much more mature than understanding of the gene. Um, You know, people have been trying to cure cancer for hundreds of years, whereas with the gene stuff, we're really only getting now to the point where some of us might actually have a gene therapy or something like in my that actually has medical uses. Um, we're still really in the early days, and we're a little farther along. Uh, we're a lot farther along with cancer, and you know anyone could get cancer sort of at any time. And you get a lot more medical history. Where with a gene, there's a lot of interesting science stuff, but it's all people in a lab with petri dishes and culture. Um, with with cancer, you know you've got radical mastectomies, and you've got people trying stuff and the human drama. Um, and there's some of that in the gene, but it's just the tension isn't quite the same. 
Yeah, um, I think you need to be a little interested in science to like the genie. Yeah, I think so and too. You don't have to be a lot interested in science. No. It just needs to be there. But you don't have to care about science at all for the emperor of all maladies to work for you precisely because we can all connect to it in some other lived experience way. And so much of the stuff in the gene, it still feels just conceptual, um, fascinating. It's so complicated. Oh my, I mean, he's so good with complication, but oh my God, it's so complicated. The genetic, I mean, it's unbelievably Mm -hmm. complicated and he pulls it off beautifully, but there's something about cancer. It's just much more simple to understand. And I don't know if that's a testament to his writing or it's the nature of the beast. Um, Necessarily, but I think the Emperor of All Maladies is better. So, Michelle, you have a definitive answer from us that the Emperor of All Maladies is better, but still the gene is highly recommended. I was trying to think of what you would do next if you're him. Like, what, where do you it's where like, do you go next? It's like trying to guess what the next Mary Rose like, like the Adam, like where? Um, oh, I don't know. Maybe I guess if it's medical, maybe you go with the brain. That would be it. Yeah, the brain. Oh, the Mukherjee. The Mukherjee brain book. book. That's what. That's it. That's got it. And it's called Gray Matter. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's your title. I was thinking, like, he could also do one about sex, too. Um, he could. In a very Mukherjee way. Um, mm-hmm. Would be interesting to, to, to know about. It would be. Oh, I would. I'm so here for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had not considered a Mukherjee book about sex. And, and like, well, he taught, I mean, in the, well, obviously the genetic stuff, there's stuff about yeah. sex and sexual orientation and the whole, you know, you could, there, there's a whole nother vein to be mined. Um there. It would be a, an interesting counterpoint to Mary Roach and Bonk. Yeah. A lot of interesting ways. I almost feel like <laughs> Mooker, this gene book would be more like the cancer book if it was written like 30 years from now. Because I think in our, our lifetimes, sure. like the lived experience of living in a world where genetic therapy and manipulation and stuff is a real thing will be here. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the gene, you get sort of these portents of what's to come. Uh, not all of them reassuring, I have to say. No. Um, also, in te- I've been watching a lot of Orphan Black. Yeah, also lately. in Technology of the Future by Alec Ross, there's a lot of stuff about, you know, life sciences and gene stuff coming in. Boy, it's a, it's a, it's a nasty ethical thorn bush um, to get into. But anyway, why are we talking about, oh, because this is the best year? Yes. <laughs> best books of the year, the gene for me, nonfiction can be very hard to beat. Um, but see, tell, tell us what you got for the, over the next couple of weeks. We'll do it maybe for our 4th of July show. We'll do, yeah, uh, that sounds good. We'll do um, some of this. Liberty and I are going to do the 2016 halftime show for best books of oh, the year good. so far, like straight up. Um, that's going to air on June 21st. Okay. So be sure um, you listen to that too. Uh, cool. sponsored. We should probably do a do sponsor. No, no, no sponsor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Smoke by Dan Violetta is back. Uh, we talked about this last week. Smoke asks the question, what would it be like to live in a world where sins, both large and small, emanate from your body in the form of smoke? Uh, so people who live in this world, which is a Dickensian London, it's set uh, a couple centuries back. Your body literally emits smoke when you are sinning, when you're thinking something that you shouldn't be do- thinking or doing something that you shouldn't be doing. Um, we meet Thomas Argyle. He is a son of the aristocracy. He's been sent to an elite boarding school where he's going to be purged of wickedness. Um, All the wealthy people send their kids to these boarding schools because the wealthy do not smoke. Uh, They're supposed to not be wicked, you know, be better because they're wealthy because that's Dickensian London. Mm -hmm. Uh, On a school trip to London, Thomas and his best friend witness events that make them wonder if everything that they've been taught about smoke might actually be a lie. And that is the beginning of this extraordinary adventure that they undertake along with a girl named Livia that they meet, where, where they're essentially trying to uncover a possible conspiracy. Maybe mm. the aristocracy are lying about the origins of smoke. Maybe they're using it for political purposes. There's this great conspiracy-ish feeling to it. Like, you can imagine that if smoke were a real thing that existed in the world now, Dan Brown would have written a conspiracy mm. book. 
about it. Um, this is, vi- but it's like the world is so fully realized. I read this last month and it's really excellent. Um, you feel that like gritty, smoky, smoggy London, but there's an explanation for it now because everyone is sinning and smoking all the time. <laughs> And you get to follow these kids who are, they're just young teenagers. They have all the thoughts and questions and temptations that teenagers have. Their bodies smoke and they're trying to, you know, suppress that while also figuring out why do they smoke and maybe they shouldn't suppress it and what else could they do if they unleashed smoke. It's just so great. Uh, So you can check out information about smoke by Dan Violetta in the link in the show notes or wherever books are sold. It's been out for a few weeks now and follow him on Twitter at Dan Violetta. That's V-Y-L-E-T-A. So thanks to them and to smoke. Uh, That's Doubleday Books for sponsoring this week. Um, Where do you want to go next? Well, I was just going to say, let's talk about Wattpad. Um, I think... We haven't paid as much attention to Wattpad on this show as maybe we could have over time. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in a way, I feel like it's the most interesting thing going on in the self-publishing space, at least from where I sit. Um, the, self, the Amazon self-publishing is what it is. Like, you know, you can have an ebook in Amazon and produce it and everything like this. The thing about Wattpad is the community part um, that Amazon doesn't really have. Like, it is a platform that you can share, um, get feedback, uh, have a profile, all these things around basically peer-to-peer writing. Um, and they've got so many users. Um, let's, what's this say? 40 million users, visitors mm-hmm. a month, um, 250 million stories uploaded by its members, a huge amount of writing output there. And what are you going to do with that writing output? Like there's a lot of stuff there. Um, they're also trying to figure out their revenue model. Um, they haven't had a lot of advertising. They've had some. Um, now they're going to, they're partnering, um, well, let's see. No, it's a new it's a new division. It's not a partnership. Mm-hmm. Wattpad Studios, where they're going to try to turn some of the content their users, um, writers are creating into stuff, into TV and video and whatever else they might be. Um, they have, you know, so they, they can see, they have so many analytics is kind of what they're thinking about here, right? They can see what people are writing, which, which users um, people are getting big following ships from. So it's kind of like, I don't know, it's almost like focus grouping out of the slush pile, right? Is that is that a yeah. good metaphor? I think that's a pretty good metaphor for it because anyone can create yeah. a Wattpad account and put stuff out there and you can tag it according to genre and all these different specifications about what kind of story it is. And then people looking for that kind of story can find it and they can, it's interactive. So they can give you feedback. You can do different drafts. You can respond to the feedback. And that does mean that Wattpad can see like this story has been read this many times. It's been commented on this many times. This many users have interacted with the story in some way and use that as a proxy for how many people might be interested or like the relative percentage, I guess, of their users that are interested in a certain thing um, to develop that as a, a bigger uh, media property. Yeah, and some of the monetization strategies Wattpads use are, are both weird and interesting, I think all wrapped up into one. Um, one is connecting writers with paid writing gigs. Um, mm-hmm. all, another That's called Wattpad Stars. Another one is Wattpad presents to develop Wattpad stories for television. I've never heard of one being produced, but that doesn't mean that doesn't mean there hasn't been one. Wattpad brands, which has Wattpad writers produce native advertising content for like AT and T, and Wattpad Insights, which is a subscription service that allows media executives to see proprietary data on what is trending on the Wattpad platform, hmm. and, it, and it identifies emerging Wattpad star uh, Wattpad stars. They've had. Um, 
some promotional agreements with Simon & Schuster, HarperCollins, and Sourcebooks, which use the site to market their authors to the Wattpad community. That's you know not unlike what we do, you know, advertising. Yeah. Um, partnerships with entertainment company as United Talent, UTA, United Talent, Paramount, and that's you know those are big those are big names. Mm-hmm. Um, I, have you heard of a product a property being that that gets put on TV or made into a movie from Wattpad? Have you heard? I have not. That doesn't mean there's not one. Um, I haven't. You know, I'm no, no. I know. I just said. Yeah, no, I haven't. Um, I'm really interested in this. You know, Wattpad's based in. Toronto. Um, They have cool offices there. I got to go meet with them. I think it was last year. But the large, the largest section of their user base is in developing nations. And they were telling me about how, um, you know, it's places where like our real book deserts. Um, And so getting content online that's largely for free is often the only way or one of the only ways that people and their users are also largely teenage. Teenage girls is where they skew, as it says in this piece in Mm. Publishers Weekly. Um, It's often the only place one of the only places that they can go to get stuff to read. And so they become really active, passionate users of Wattpad um, because it's free material. They can interact directly with the authors of it. But I'm curious about where the connection works. If that really is their primary user base, then uh, are they using that as like, well, we could take this wider if we took this story to LA and made a movie out of it, even though most of the people who are using Wattpad and who are reading the stories are you know, not located in North America. Um, the, it's a really, I think it's a really interesting question. Granted, with 40 million users, you're going to have people in North America anyway. Yeah. Um, but I'll be really interested to see. I've yet to see, I guess, you know, this is a new thing. So um, they don't have a first like project out yet to announce. So I haven't seen anything specific right. about what's being born out of here. But this this is a cool thing to do. Like, it seems to me that it serves their existing community. It serves their community of writers by um, working to identify the best or most popular ones and provide them with paid opportunities because what you do on Wattpad is not paid. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't make mo- any money for putting your stories Yeah, there, even, even also, if it's very popular. I don't think you get like, if you, right, yeah, no, I don't think you get just, anything. No, you just get like digital accolades. And, and I think that's um, one of the interesting things about it is like people are doing it for the sake of doing it. I mean, I, I don't yeah. know how many people are writing on Wattpad thinking, you know, the Wattpad, the Wattpad algorithm or curation team is going to find me and I'm going to get a book deal. I think a lot of it is it's a hobby and people do it because they, they love it and they want to do sure. it. Sure. Yeah. And I think we know some established writers who use Wattpad essentially to workshop stuff that they're Mm -hmm. working on and you can follow them there. I'm pretty sure that Daniel Jose Older does this, um, that you can, you know, follow them on Wattpad and see a chapter that they're working on or a short story and, you know, give your feedback if that's the thing that they're looking for. And it might later appear in a book that they're working on for a publisher. Um, but if this works for Wattpad, like that's a pretty cool way to thread the needle of making money for your company, but also providing your core base of users with opportunities that they wouldn't have had otherwise. Yeah, I guess um, I'd like to know what their EULA is, their end user license. Like, if your thing gets picked, do you get money? Mm. Like if it gets turned into a show or a movie or a radio drama or a marionette uh, parade, because that's not a thing. Um, like, do you get a percentage? Is it fixed? Do they have world mm-hmm. exclusive proprietary? How rights? good of a deal is it? Yeah, um, and, and and I don't begrudge Wattpad for taking a cut. I just worry, you know, there's taking a cut and then there's taking out the scalpel. Um, yeah, sure. You want to benefit your users, mm-hmm. not just take advantage of them. Um, so that that I'd be curious to know about, um, and I'm sure if this becomes a thing, we'll know because Kindle Unlimited payouts become a thing. You know, we mm-hmm. it'll come out if this turns into a real thing. 
Um, but that's something to, to look for there. So I will be fascinated to see if anything comes of this, um, anything that, you know, even bubbles up into our consciousness about something getting made into a movie or a TV show from that. Because I, I was going to say, like, the big self-publishing successes have been The Martian – and Hugh Fifty Holly. Shades, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they've gone all they've they, the they've gone ones, all the yeah. way from self-published online for nothing to, to major movies. Hollywood movies. Mm-hmm. And The Martian probably, if you think of sort of the cultural hierarchy ladder, like it was nominated for Academy Awards. Like, there's only one more rung to go in the cultural cachet right. ladder, like to win one. Um, but there hasn't there hasn't been that many. I mean, in Fifty Shades, its own thing, but. I don't know other self-published books that have made it into t- to made it to series on yeah, a network well, or made it to a movie or anything like that. And that's kind of the great, I don't want to say great lie, but like that's the great illusion of the yeah. self-publishing surge that people have sort of figured out when self-publishing first became a big thing. A lot of the conversation was like, well, this is how writers who were going to struggle otherwise are going to make millions and be famous. But really you're shot at being an outlier as a self-publisher is in the sense of making a bajillion dollars doesn't seem any greater than your chance of being an outlier as someone who's published by a traditional publishing yeah, house. Well, there's, there's only room for a certain number of outliers on any normal curve. Right. And those books also got picked up by major big five houses, uh, both by well, yeah, random yeah, house. Yeah, like, right. both That's their, an interesting pattern, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, maybe you can, you still got to get to the place where you have a traditionally published book so far, right. To sort of be a multimedia multi-genre, um, you know, household kind of a name, which, and, and that's not necessarily, I'm not saying that's what the goal of every writer is, but that does seem to be a limiting factor on, mm-hmm. you know, there seems to be a barrier there for self-published writers. Whereas if the number of books and TV shows, uh, excuse me, the number of books made into TV shows and movies is, uh, there's enormous, there's enormous number every year that get made. Um, I don't know if it makes it any more or less likely, but there does seem to be a gating factor to getting into um, video production, which makes sense because it's hor- you think traditional publishing expensive. Um, wait till you make one twenty-two minute uh, half-hour comedy. Good luck uh, with that. So I don't know. I don't know if this will be the same. I guess if it's something that's popular, um, they get enough people behind it. Um, I'm not sure. I, I also don't know. Like if Wattpad is mostly in developing countries, are they going to mostly do development deals for those countries? Is something yeah, that's that popular on Wattpad translate into being something that Hollywood want to make? I, I just don't have any idea about that. Yeah, and one of the um, talent agencies that men- is mentioned at the very bottom of this uh, piece in Publishers Weekly is it located in the Philippines. Yeah. Um, so it's totally possible that like we in the U.S. might not see these movies that develop yes. out of Wattpad Studio. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely possible. It, an interesting thing to follow. I do want to see it happen that someone who self-publishes or who goes through a thing like Wattpad just goes straight from internet to movie deal. Like, yeah. I think that once you went from internet to movie deal, you would have all the publishers knocking down your door wanting to do the you know official movie version of your book and make mm-hmm. a floppity jillion dollars off of it. But we haven't seen anybody do that yet. It's been self-published success uh, for the Martian and for 50 shades of gray, at least self-published success. Then you get a big publisher and the movie deal sort of happens along the way, probably due to the fact that you get an agent. That's what I was going to say. Like, how would you negotiate? I mean, that's the other thing that Wattpad can do. If you say, let's say you have a a story on Wattpad that's going nuts, like millions of people are reading on Wattpad and someone comes a call in without Wattpad, you'd have to go out and get an agent. So Wattpad can, I think also serve as an agent. So that's another thing where if you're just publishing your ebooks on a Kindle and you got, like if, if UTA called me tomorrow about 
uh, a self-published thing I'd done, I would have I'd have to go out and find a lawyer right away, right? right. It'd be very difficult to do that. Um, and frankly, I, I would imagine if if you're a UTA or Paramount, ha- th- that person having an agent is a legitimizing factor. Like they're a serious person and they have the rights. They probably haven't plagiarized this from someone else. Right. I'd be horribly afraid of that. You know? Oh, can you imagine? Um, so there's a lot of there's a lot of nesting problems that even if it's not about quality, it's about having your ducks in a row. So if you know you've had your book published by Crown, like The Martian. Yeah, but really, you know, there's some confidence that you can go forward with a product or a property, um, make it into something big. Yeah, it does confer some credibility. Yeah, a large degree of credibility. Credibility and just sort of safety. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And Wattpad getting into the game and developing that expertise, I think, helps is sort of the same idea. Like they could go, like they see a story they want to turn into something. It's like, oh, there's Wattpad yeah. Studios. I could turn it into something. Be really interesting to see. We should. We have another sponsor. Yeah, we, we got to keep long. cooking. Um, uh, we mentioned. Go ahead. Pinhole. You talk about this. Oh yeah. You've done this. So we mentioned Pinhole Press at the top of the show, um, and they will let you make their service. Lets you make customized bunches of things, but um, most specifically, you can make a customized memory game. Um, so I mean, you have kids. I have a, yes. a bunch of nieces and nephews, and I can tell you that kids' games are super complicated. Like they come with instructions that are five pages long, and that seems really generous. Usually, they're longer than that. There's a lot going on, but we probably, many of us at least, remember playing those simple memory games as kids where it's just cards and in the big deck of cards, there are a bunch of sets of two um, and you turn them over and you're looking like to match the two cows and remember where both the cow cards are. Um, So the folks at Pinhole Press are making parents and like nieces and aunts and uncles like me, uh, look smart with simple and smart memory games that you make with your family photos. Um, And they actually sent us codes to do some samples of these. So I did these with my pictures from New Zealand, and they turned out really beautifully. You pick 12 of your favorite pictures, and then you choose a favorite pattern. So the pattern shows up on the back of the cards, and then your picture shows up on the other sides. And that's it. You upload your 12 photos, you pick your pattern, and you order them, and then your memory cards show up right at your door. Um, kids love looking at photos. I think we all like looking at pictures of you know moments that yeah, we hold. Yeah, that's fun. It's a really fun fond idea. memories of. Yeah, it's nice. Um, it hits a sweet spot. This memory game then of entertainment and of fam- family memories, or of just things that are you know warm for you. So I've got like my bungee jumping picture, and there's a waterfall that we hiked to. And Bob and I don't have kids, but we stood in our kitchen and played the memory game <laughs> with my <laughs> sample ones, and it was nice. You kind of get to talk about the moment that the pictures were taken in, along with playing this game and trying to remember how you're going to make the matches. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're having, if you're thinking about doing this, just think about the pinhole camera, like. P-I-N-H-O-L-E, Pinhole. That's Pinhole Press. Um, So make your own memory card game. This would be, I think, an excellent gift for Father's Day, for an upcoming like grandparents situation, Mm -hmm. for somebody's birthday. Um, If you've got kids that are old enough to play a memory game like this, they would love it as well. My parents don't listen to this show, so I can tell them, I can tell (laughs) you guys, I'm going to make one of a bunch of family photos for my parents for their anniversary in August. Um, You go to pinholepress.com slash riot and you enter the code riot at checkout to get 20% off your personalized memory game. Um, I thought I'd, you know, I did this, it was free for me, but I thought it was really cool. I'm going to buy these as gifts. So that's pinholepress.com slash riot. And the offer code at checkout to use is riot as well. You get 20% off your personalized memory game. Um, I think that's our show. I think so too. I think it's a nice long show today. Um, podcast, at bookriot.com. Give us your favorite books of the year so far. We'll go, we'll talk about some of them. If you want to write us a line about why, great. If not, 
also great. You can find show notes for this and back episodes of the Book Riot Podcast at bookriot.com slash listen. When another Book Riot show hits your feed, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, sometime midweek, do not panic. Stay calm. It is supposed to be there. It's going to be my interview with N.K. Jemison about her Patreon and her experience doing it so far. Really looking forward to that. 15 or 20 minutes is what I'm thinking. We'll see how it goes. Um, let's see. Thanks to our sponsors, Pinhole Press, Smoke, and Audible. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash bookwright to get a free trial. And we'll talk to you next week. Have a good one. Mm-hmm.